and Young Aseo, welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the Hallyu wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokeh and listen to your new favorite unis. Hey, everyone. Happy Wednesday. So I have a little bit of a story, I guess. I've reached new heights in my K-drama fandom. Last week when we were recording, I mentioned that I had just watched the first episode of Airs. And from there, I think it took me another four days to finish all 20 episodes because (laughs) I just inhaled them. And one of the things I was super excited about was finally seeing Kim Woo Bin because we all know his name from Goblin because that was, you know, Reaper's sort of namesake in Goblin. And I'd never seen Kim Woo Bin in anything. And I fell hard for Kim Woo Bin and I've already fallen hard many times over for Lee Min Ho. And so when I was done with Ayers, I really wanted to see Kim Woo Bin in a lead role. And he is the romantic lead in a drama called Uncontrollably Fond from 2016, but it is not available in our region on Vicky. And when I tell you that I need to see him as a romantic lead, like I need to see him as a romantic lead. So I... <laughs> I bought the DVDs. I don't think I've bought DVDs in probably 15 years. I'm not even sure I know how to use them anymore. I bought the DVD set. And while I was there, I was like, let's, you know, let's just look and see because I love my Lee Min Ho and I also can't find City Hunter anywhere. And there was one copy left of Uncontrollably Fond and three copies left with the English subtitles of City Hunter. So $111 later... I'm going to be getting some DVDs this weekend. And I do you have a DVD excited. player? Like, what? How I are you have gonna... a PlayStation. I have a PlayStation. Okay. I can play it on the PlayStation. I do not yet. And I think I have an old laptop that has a DVD drive. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is where I'm at in my Lee Min Ho and Kim Woo Bin fandom is that I will go to the lengths of the early 2000s to be able to watch them. <laughs> well, I I'm excited I'm so to hear all about it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm honestly, I think it's. It's amazing. But we can I... pass them around like the, you know, Sisterhood of the Traveling K-Drama DVDs. <laughs> yeah, because I would have to watch it on my son's PlayStation as well. That's the only, <laughs> like, honestly, because we were, like, cleaning out our house lately, and I'm pretty sure we had a DVD player that we just threw out. And we might have a CD-ROM somewhere. I don't even know. <laughs> I but... think the only spot I would be able to watch it is in my minivan. <laughs> Where we have like the old like 2011 minivan with like the DVD player that was super fancy. So I could like sit in the back of my minivan. You know what? (laughs) You might like that. I I probably would like that. I didn't even think about that. Our our, uh, SUV has has a DVD player. I didn't even think about that. So yeah, I can watch it in my (laughs) SUV. That's probably I'll be like, honey, I'm going to watch my K drama and just like sit in my truck. <laughs> and would we have to like idle the car? Because I think I'd drain the battery otherwise. So maybe yes, it wouldn't be would. good. You would totally have to idle it. I don't, don't know if I can warming that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely. I don't want to die watching. Like... <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine? What I mean, a way to go, though. Funny. It's not funny, but. No, it's not. I mean, it's it would be a K drama plot. Totally oh someone. Gosh into it in a K-drama. <laughs> An inadvertent suffocation between Kim Woo-bin and Lee Min-ho. That would be like the way for Amy to go, really. I mean, if I, if I have to be suffocated. <laughs> if I cannot be immortal, I would like to be suffocated between the two of them. <laughs> All right. Well, this episode, we're talking about one of my all-time favorite dramas to date. So let's get into it. 
a knight errand boy with serious parkour skills, an adorable tabloid journalist, a hunky evening news anchor, a murky shared past that goes back decades to a time when South Korea was an authoritarian de facto dictatorship when a group of five friends ran an illegal pirate radio station in the early 80s. Past betrayals collide with the present as the trio in modern time go on the case to solve a 20-year-old murder mystery that involves their relatives. Add in power ballads, a hacker ajuma, and a bad guy with the longest mole hairs we have ever seen. And what do you have? Healer! A wickedly fast-paced and suspenseful K-drama with cliffhanger episode endings while being unusually character-driven for a series that is heavy on external conflict. This K-drama has a lot going on. A hero with a secret identity, a heroine pining for the hero's secret identity while his bumbling alter ego is working at the desk right next to her, no heroic chables in sight, a humanized villain who is alternatively obsessively creepy to his wife, and also a tragic cautionary tale of getting everything you want but losing your soul in the process. So, quick overall thoughts on Healer. This was just one of the most fun dramas I've ever watched. I think the only thing I did not enjoy about watching this drama was competing with you, Megan, (laughs) in getting episodes watched because I wanted so badly to talk about it and to be as far ahead as you were. And you were always like three episodes ahead of me, but just a pure and utter delight. Like I smiled the whole way through this drama. Like I just had so much fun and I want to watch it again and again. So this was a really happy surprise for me. Megan tried to sell this drama as having Jean-Claude Van Damme action vibes. (laughs) So I have to admit that I was dreading watching it. And the title also put me off for some reason, although now I love it. I always make the mistake of judging a K-drama by its title, which is such a disservice. And I own that. But really, it only took me half an episode to realize it's nothing like a Van Damme movie. Which I actually don't even really know what a Van Damme movie is. I'm just going to tell you I know I don't like like it. And that when I was writing to Megan to be like Van Damme, the only thing I could find was a gif or a gif of apparently Van Damme punching a cobra in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. That sounds like Van Damme. But the show is actually a show about a walking emotional boo-boo living in a secret lair where he eats chicken takeout watching National Geographic videos. So sell it to me like that. Plus the plot explores the role of the press and how it has the power to like hide truth and enable corruption or shed the light on injustices. Plus it's packed with so much longing and yearning that I actually got physically dizzy watching some scenes yeah so we actually had a whole talk about this about how like i'm not allowed to sell leah shows (laughs) because i clearly sell them really poorly like i highlight things that leah doesn't like (laughs) because because her and i actually have i think we have similar tastes in some respects but in others we we don't think we like similar things but what we like about them tends to be vastly different i completely agree (laughs) with that i think we Sometimes we like like the meaning behind them. Different. I don't know. Anyway, but Amy, who is like, I feel like she's like the moderator between I'm us. The tra- I'm the translator. Yeah, I'm you're the, the translator. translator. Yes, right. Because... So Amy was like, "This is why you're gonna like this, Leah." And Leah's like, "Oh, well, actually, that does sound like something I like." Megan, you're fired. You're not allowed to try to sell me dramas <laughs> anymore. And I was like, "I'm really sorry. You're right." But I basically Healer had everything I want in a K drama. So I'm always going to be partial to action. Like I, that's just something that I tend to gravitate towards because I kind of grew up watching like. John claude van damme like i I grew up watching like 80s action movies like that is all me like i will watch roadhouse 
forever you know patrick swayze like kicking ass in a bar like i love them and i know they're kind of cheesy and this kind of gave me a little bit of that like cheesy 80s action vibe which is what i was saying to leah but i i wasn't accurate like i i, I, right I now, get my yeah i, I get it now but there was so much romantic longing and yearning it really struck me as like a beautiful coming of age story with the background of this really great external plot so you know I also felt I truly felt like this whole drama was written from a female gaze and there wasn't a lot of toxic masculinity it just felt wholesome happy yearning what we want in a hero and it's just made me an instant fan so I saw it written that Healer is more of a writer's drama than a director's drama. So what do you think about that? I actually thought it was a really good mix of the two. I mean, I, I'm sure the action scenes were fun to direct, but this truly is a drama all about the intertwining story between the past and the present, as well as the love story. And every episode is about unlocking a new piece of that mystery from the past while also moving forward with the romance. But while the writer gives us that story, the director is the one who lays out how those secrets are going to unfold. So I feel like it was a good partnership between the two. Like, yes, the story itself, it's the writing, right? Like the action Action scenes are super, super fun, and I liked watching them, but they weren't what drove the plot forward. So in that respect, yes, totally a writer's drama. But I did think it was a really great marriage between the writer and the director insofar as how the director brought the story to life on the screen. Yeah, and I really appreciate what you're saying about the female gaze, Megan, because I think that too, absolutely. I think that this writer approached this heavily leaning on the female gaze. So while it was like this visual feast, especially in terms of all the parkour, it felt like it could have been really just like reduced to this like externally driven show, maybe like a Van Damme, which like just having like a bunch of action and not much meat. But I felt like the internal conflicts for the characters made the whole thing just so much more enriching. And I guess I wanted to just lay out really quickly for those listening who don't converse and writers speak while we're talking about internal and external conflict. Internal conflict would be when a character struggles with their own opposing desires or beliefs. So it's something that's happening inside of them and is driving their development as a character. Whereas external conflict sets the character against something or someone that's beyond their control. And external forces stand in the way of the character's motivations and creates tension as the character tries to reach their goals. So including both internal and external conflict is crucial for a good story because if you have only internal, you have what's usually called like a very quiet drama or quiet novel. And then the external like if it's all heavily external, you're going to get something that feels very much like a dude Damn. in the jungle. Yeah, punching a snake <laughs> in the face for two hours. So I feel like for a good story, you have both. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. And I, I mean, I always think as a writer, and I'm sure most romance writers feel the same way, that a perfectly woven internal and external plot is the goal. It's always your goal. And it's not easy at all mm -mm. to weave your internal conflict that relates to a romance with an external conflict and weave it well so that both sort of either run parallel or they kind of like mix and mingle like a like a slithering snake or whatever i mean you, you can kind of do anyway do you know what i'm saying though sometimes you have the the romance that's like butting up against the external conflict and sometimes you have it running like parallel and this drama i feel like wove it in like yeah. a tapestry i mean it was so well done from a writer's standpoint and one of the biggest things is I kept saying as I was watching it is there's no filler I didn't feel 
at any point in time that there was filler. I actually think they could have had 25 episodes. I felt almost every scene was necessary and driving the plot forward or the romance forward, often both at the same time. And that's, again, I think that's extremely hard to do. And this drama did it, which is why I binged it so fast. And Amy kept yelling at me to slow down. Like someone was almost playing a flute as a snake perfectly came out of a basket. (laughs) (laughs) Never going to be over it. And it is speaking of serpents, is it bad that when you talk about internal conflict and it's the character fighting something within itself that I immediately go to Imugi when we're talking about (laughs) now? Freaking Imugi, a serpent. (laughs) A serpent. I just... Yeah, forever. It all like, goes back to a moogie. Forever. It all every every episode has to go back to a moogie. So, <laughs> so just a reminder: the show is going to have as many spoilers as there are hairs on the elder's mole. We'll get to that later. So you've been <laughs> warned. This is also going to be a two-parter, as we had too much to talk about today. So today is mostly focusing on Healer, aka So Jong Hu, aka Bong Su. From Midnight Man in Black to a lonely and isolated guy dealing with serious abandonment issues to a bumbling, socially awkward introvert actor. Now, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single Afternoon Delight episode. And if you'd like to level up on your karma, leave us a nice review or star rating. We are a new baby podcast and listener feedback helps us with discoverability. Lastly, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Afternoon and Delight Podcast for all the show ratings that don't make it on the pod. Book recs, behind the scenes fun, and generally shameless fangirling. And if you want to message us about anything you heard on the show, email us at AfternoonAndDelightPodcast at gmail.com. So who wants to hear a joke? <laughs> I do, I do, I do. I do, I do is the right I answer. Do. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Not scripted. So... If Spider-Man suddenly runs out of web when he's chasing bad guys, what's he called? Bum, 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 bum. I don't know, Leah. What's he called? <laughs> Peter Parkour. <laughs> Yay! Thank you. I, I was that. proud of that. I think that's you should be. You should be. <laughs> truly, in- truly inspired. <laughs> so with that off my chest, let's talk about exactly what parkour is. There's actually a debate, it turns out, within the community of practitioners. Is it a sport? Is it art? Is it philosophy? Or maybe it's just better termed as a discipline. However you choose to define it, it's all about forward motion in spite of obstacles, or to put it simply, the art of movement. Parkour's chief aim is to never move backwards, but instead to overcome obstacles fluidly with strength, originality, and speed. The discipline was developed in France beginning in the late 1980s and has been popularized through internet videos, television commercials, documentary and feature films, including the James Bond movie Casino Royale, which I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that Megan has seen. <laughs> I actually don't watch James Bond movies. <laughs> no. I know. I know. Wait, wait, wait. So we have a line here? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I do like. Oh my God! What's the what? Who's the latest Bond? What's his name? Daniel. The, Craig. the British. Yeah, Daniel, Daniel Craig. Who's Casino Royale? Daniel, Daniel yeah, Craig. That is not- him. That is him in Casino Royale. I saw him in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which I didn't like, but I have not seen Casino Royale. I have seen Jason Bourne, and he does tons of parkour. And I'll yes, actually he does. mention that later. <laughs> this I is very like- Jason Bourne for sure. Very Jason Bourne. Okay, well, I have actually not seen Jason Bourne, but I did see Casino Royale. Anyway, going back, parkour traces its origins to physical education methods developed before World War I by Frenchman Georges Hébert, known as La Method Naturelle. 
The regimen involved training in running, jumping, climbing, balancing, swimming, and defending, and the use of obstacle courses called parkour de combattant. Sorry for my French lack of an accent, but hence the origins of the name parkour. So Hebert's system came to underpin French military training, and in the 40s and 50s, a guy by the name of Raymond Bell received instruction on Hebert's methods while in the military and used those skills to become this elite firefighter. He was known for acrobatic athleticism and the ability to safely and quickly move along ledges to scale buildings without using a ladder and to leap between building rooftops. Sounds a lot like Healer. His son, David (laughs) Bell, went on to being credited as the father of parkour in its modern form. David trained with his father and he and a group of friends began practicing parkour on their own, adding their own challenges and movements and calling themselves the Yamakaze. By the late 1990s, the Yamakaze were giving public performances and... Obviously, when things get big, there's frisions and, you know, things fall out. So Bell and another leading member of the group, Sebastian Foucault, began to disagree about the direction of the new discipline, and they both left the group. And Foucault introduced the movement in Britain where it was called free running. So now there's two terms, parkour and free running, and they are a schism in the parkour community. Purists argue that while very similar to parkour, free running is more liberal when it comes to the rule of not moving backward. On this side of the argument, parkour in its purest form is meant to only be practical and efficient, but free running allows moves to be purely aesthetic. So healer actor Ji Chang Wook had help from stunt doubles in this role but was still no doubt incredibly physically adept because this was a really demanding role to play. And he had this to say about the experience. I feel ashamed to say that I am performing parkour stunts. I won't be continuously moving around by running and jumping. There are many scenes of me jumping across rooftops where I had to use wires. Personally, I like that he clearly highlighted when like doing tours about the drama that what he did with wires doesn't actually count as real parkour so any thoughts on that because i just thought it was kind of like a nicely humble thing even though he like obviously was really physically strong and did tons of amazing stunts to kind of just like acknowledge that you know he wasn't jumping actually between the buildings he had wires helping him i would say even with the wires that's still some phenomenal stuff that he was doing so i still think it's super impressive but yes absolutely humble for him to say look i'm not really doing parkour and it's also kind of like don't try this at home like i'm not really jumping from building to building (laughs) like i have a little bit of help I'm not actually scaling the wall right. by like my my fingernails or whatever. <laughs> I appreciate that he said that though. At first, I didn't understand what he meant by saying he feels ashamed to say that I'm performing parkour stunts. But I realized the key word there is stunts. So he's saying I'm not actually doing parkour. I'm kind of doing stunt work. Which would yeah, be like, exactly. Yeah. So like he's trying to like I felt like he really differentiated what he did versus like what this like pure practice of parkour is meant to be. I don't know if he meant to, but to me, I kind of took it that way. Yeah. And he also in the interview had this to say. He said, although it's tiring, the camera director had to put on wires too when I use wires, and he also had to run alongside me when I'm running. So I don't complain about being tired. So I really like that too, because I felt like it, again, was like humble, but also was just acknowledging like, you know, there's like, as much as he was being super physical, like that meant like the camera, like I didn't even think about that. When I, I love thought that. I didn't I either. Like, Whoa. <laughs> I love that because it's like, he's not the only one working hard on this film, right? Or on this drama. Like he's, he's working his butt off, but so is everybody else basically who is making that scene happen. So I thought that was really cool of him to say. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Made me think that like, yeah, I gave respect to the actor on both those fronts. So parkour does drive a lot of these external conflict elements in the story. How do you think the sport also affects or showcases parts of Healer's internal conflict? So I think that Healer is 
always playing a little bit of mental gymnastics, especially once he starts falling for Young Shin. And so this idea of how much of myself can I reveal to this woman? How much can I trust her? How important is it for me to keep moving forward, but also keep my secret safe? And much like the definition of parkour, I think Jung Hu, who is healer, is always moving forward. He uses the persona of Bong Su to get past the obstacle of showing his face to Young Shin and Moon Ho, but Bong Su isn't truly a lie. Like that is Jung Hu as he tries to relate to people outside of his solitary existence as healer. He's bumbling and clumsy emotionally while super nimble physically. So I thought the whole parkour thing was a really nice parallel to his personality when he's not healer because he's not that nimble when he's you know, actually interacting with people and not gymnastics and fighting, you know, type of thing. So I, I really liked the sort of juxtaposition of his role as healer and his role as himself or the parts of himself that he lets people see. And I like the definition of parkour is always moving forward because that felt very true to what Megan was bringing up about each episode not having filler. That like every episode, everything that happened in every episode was necessary to move the plot forward, whether it was the plot about the secrets of the past or the plot of the romance it all just worked so well together. Yeah. So when I first started watching, I was like, oh my gosh, there's like really long parkour montages. This is semi-ridiculous, but I also love it. But then, <laughs> and I thought it was just for aesthetic purposes, like truly. I was like, of course he's good at parkour. Like, of course he's healer. But as the drama went on, I realized how much that meant to his character because they, he talks a lot about, he mentions to Young Shin that he likes rooftops. He likes rooftops because he can see what's going on below, but while still remaining distant himself, which is really how he lives his life as healer. Like he doesn't involve himself in what he's doing. He just takes the job, gets the money. And he also, like he doesn't have friends. He doesn't have a personal life. And so there was kind of a metaphor of him as healer on the rooftops, but eventually he has to actually come down from the rooftops and be a mortal essentially and and young shin is who draws him down there and so i think you know like i said there's a whole metaphor of him being on the rooftops as healer but then finally coming down as himself as jung ho and learning how to live with people and with the love of his life so a little bit of a nerd alert for me because what i was doing was i was thinking about like the psychology of tracers they're called like parkour aficionados or practitioners. And I found this academic article that was called Determining the Social and Psychological Reasons for the Emergence of Parkour and Free Running, an Interpretive Phenomenological Analysis. And I just want points for trying to say phenomenological. Oh my <laughs> God, I would have done the first try. You it's got the, the study first of phenomenons. Um, and it was in the International Journal of Basic and Applied Sciences written by two academics based in Turkey. So they did qualitative interviews with a bunch of traceurs, like parkour practitioners, and they discovered that the participation and the practice of parkour provides emotional, physical, and psychological development. So namely, an increased sense of individuality, an opportunity to inquire status and develop a new personal identity and the generation of personal meaning. So through that lens, I thought there was some really salient interaction here with Jung Hu's healer persona. Like he's this outsider in terms of the law and society, and he's been pushed by his teacher to be highly self-reliant and probably in part to help protect him. But it also gave him a sense of self at a time when he was living in the shadows. He also has this like big rep among the night errand boys that like are operating around the streets of Seoul. And that persona really helps define him until he opens up more to the world. And it probably was a way for him to feel self-worth when he had so many 
abandonment issues and all those emotional boo-boos. So what's your favorite parkour scene in Healer? I think mine's a little bit of cheating, but I'm going to do it anyway, because it probably it doesn't count as total parkour, but it is a very physical scene. And for me, it was the elevator save when Yangshin is trapped in an elevator that is plummeting to its depths and, and she will be plummeting to her death. And I love that normally when Jung-Hoo has to sort of turn into healer, like, you know, Clark Kent turning into Superman, he all of a sudden has his healer outfit, throws it on in wherever it is. I don't know. And in this scene, it showed the sort of urgency of everything that he doesn't change into his healer outfit, that he wastes no time to save Young-Shin, despite him being quote unquote Bong-Su at the time. And then he keeps her eyes covered with her hat as he repels down the elevator shaft tied to the fire hose, like he's freaking John McClane and it's dying hard and he saves the girl and then pulls her back up to the top and they get to the rooftop and they have you know that's a fantastic kiss scene comes after that where he keeps her eyes covered with her hat and kisses her as healer even though he's standing right there as bong su and basically that scene turned me into a ghost because it was so amazing and beautiful and it was great action and then fantastic romance and so yeah not exactly parkour but one of my favorite sort of physical scenes from healer slash jung hoo slash Bongsu all rolled into one. Yeah, I mean, just to comment on that too, it's a good example of how an action scene and the external plot also drove the romance. And in a believable way. I just, uh, I love that so much. So especially, anyway. I was going to say, especially at that point, he's, he is still warning her to be afraid of him. He's yeah. like, why, you know, like, why are you trusting me? Like, because this, you know, goes all the way back to like the first scene where he clips her nails to do the DNA test and tells her not to be so bold that you should not chase somebody that you know could hurt you into a public bathroom. And now here she is standing on the rooftop, standing there and waiting because she trusts him and he's warning her not to, but then he kisses her. And oh my gosh, I could watch that scene over and over and over again from the elevator all the way to it because we got to see tying himself to the hose and rappelling down the elevator shaft because that was fantastic. So can I just add a nerdy aside to this? So I didn't put this into the show anywhere, but I read an interview with the writer where she talks about the scene and writing the scene and essentially like they broke the budget on the scene like this was such an expensive scene to shoot the elevator rescue that like it took like the vast majority of like the show's budget and she was tasked with having to come up with like how to have this kind of a scene in a specific budget so she had to like sit there and like brain out like okay what can I have him do to like save the girl in a way that like they can film it but it's also gonna like come in on budget so I thought that was like really amazing from a writer's perspective that's that amazing. Is, and and it was worth every it was like worth yeah. every penny. It is an absolutely iconic scene from the from the whole show. And Amy, as always, I appreciate any diehard reference. So I had to. I had to. Thank Le- you. Leah's like, what? Who's I didn't I didn't know who John McClain was. I oh, just no. Let it go. <laughs> I have no idea. None. Why classic, holi- classic holiday movie. John McClane, Die Hard. John I've never watched Die Hard ever and I'm the, never going to. Gun duct tape to his back. Oh, classic. Anyway. <laughs> So I love the parkour scene. This was early on. This was like a parkour montage where I was just coming out of my skin. Like I was so in love already, but he's like running the rooftops. He's chasing after someone. Actually, now I can't even remember who it was, but he's following someone. And he does, of course, he doesn't use streets. Like He's got to use the rooftops because he's healer. And he just does these like stunts that just he like unnecessarily does this like midair flip. Okay. <laughs> over like a couple's table. They're like sitting outside at night. And he like does a flip over them. Like he doesn't just leap. 
He's got to do a whole flip. <laughs> and then at one point, he literally jumps through a window into someone's apartment, does like executes a forward roll. Okay. And he's like, sorry. And this woman's like holding her kid and like yelling at him. And he like runs out, which is like someone watched Jason Bourne. I don't know if it was the director or who, but someone watched Jason Bourne and was inspired and directed or blocked that parkour scene. Like, I'm convinced that that's the way it happened. But it was fantastic. And that was immediately when I was like, oh, my God, Amy, there's parkour montages for like 10 minutes. <laughs> and and I and I love it. Like, I don't even care that some of the parkour moves were not necessary because they were just... <laughs> so fun to watch i don't i don't care he did not need to flip over that couple he did not need to bust through that woman's living room but he did and i was there for it and i gobbled it up i feel like that's part of his psychological identity he's feeling himself he's like look i got a lot of problems in life but i can flip over this couple's table for self-worth and i've also never watched jason Bourne. full disclosure So I really liked episode two where he does this like full Spider-Man routine where, you know, he often hangs out in the building across from the coffee shop slash law office where the heroine (laughs) lives in the apartment above with her dad. And so he's going to break into her house. So he kind of does this like whole parkour thing, like off the building, up into her building and gets into her room. And of course she's home and comes in while he's like in her bedroom, like looking for her journals. And he ends up, you see that he's like jumped up and is like in the rooftop, like above her, like in like the open beam ceiling. So he's just like literally above her head. And she like comes in, does whatever, leaves. And then like he, with his cat-like instincts, like leaps back down. But then what I really loved is that she has like one of the characters we haven't talked about yet is Moon Ho, who's like the third main character in this, who is a very hunky journalist. And she has a big poster of him on her wall. But next to it, she's pinned this little like black and white crappy photo of Healer. (laughs) And he does all this stuff, this like parkour moves around and then like ends up seeing himself on her wall pinned up like a little idol boy band you know and I just thought it was really cute because that was like the total like that felt like what healer is like you have like these moments of kind of like graceful action like I didn't feel like it was dumb action it felt very like graceful and enjoyable to watch and then he has this like little goober like I'm on her wall Ah." (laughs) at first it was like the only thing that scene was missing would be like, you know, that one drop of sweat, like falling to the floor or whatever. But then I'm yeah. like, no, healer doesn't sweat. No, healer, 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 healer never sweat. sweats, does he? I don't no. think he sweats once. He doesn't even breathe hard. <laughs> <laughs> so we can't discuss all these parkour scenes without a shout out to the original soundtrack. <laughs> How did this soundtrack help or hinder both the action scenes and the drama as a whole? So what I thought was really funny is, you know, because Megan and I were buddy watching this and we kept texting each other with, oh my gosh, this hairband ballad is driving me absolutely crazy. Except then it was like the earworm that would not let go. And now I have like such love for this soundtrack because all it does is make me relive watching Healer, which I absolutely love. And so, you know, anything that I've put up on like Instagram stories about Healer, like the whole Healer OST is on Instagram stories. So I'm like, I've got like the, oh my love, you know, I'm all yours kind of thing on there. And I'm like, I can't stop listening to it. It makes me so happy now to hear it. It is over the top and cheesy in the best possible way. I think the soundtrack is another thing that I kept comparing it to 80s movies because I mean, it's true. Like it's total... 80s you know hairband ballads which i love by the way like bon jovi i would take a bullet for but i still couldn't deal with it a little bit like i i just 
yeah, I have a love hate relationship with with the soundtrack. Is is what it boils down to? Because it started out being kind of annoyed with it. Like I was like, this is not working for me. But then by the end, as soon as like that specific like synth healer soundtrack would kick in when you know healer's about to like do some shit i mean i was like pavlov's dog i was like salivating ready to see some parkour you know what i mean it was like an instant like i was like a dog hearing the treat bag i was like what's he gonna do now you know so i don't know i i i did start to like it by the end I, i think my only issue is this is more like a technical thing i felt like the music was too loud in some scenes and maybe that was like i don't maybe it was me like maybe it was what i was watching it on meaning i thought the music was too loud over dialogue like i almost couldn't it just seemed sometimes it was like playing at an odd time but that was and and sometimes it would be playing this like happy synth music over like this really serious dialogue it was like the show was like well we know this is really serious but we're not actually gonna hurt anyone so we're just gonna play this like happy music in the background to like reassure you and that was fine but so i I don't know that was my only like issue but i mean i'm not gonna ding like the whole show (laughs) because of the soundtrack it just it just i don't know i had some issues so here's where again like megan when you were selling me on this drama or not selling me actually uh, you were like, oh, and then there's these 80 power ballads. And I was like, Fuck, like, no, like, but I'm going to say I'm all in on the music. So I love the synth action scenes and it was cheesy, but like healer actually is like totally cheesy, just really awesomely cheesy. And I felt like the songs being light, like, yeah, I felt like overall it kind of kept it like, so right now I'm still watching airs and like when the two male leads who are like mortal enemies still Kim Tan and Young Do. Yeah, <laughs> Kim Tan and Young Do approach each other like in tense moments. There's like this like butt rock guitar like like playing to show like and so you know and I'm like okay like obviously this is tense. Whereas like I don't know it, like Healer kept this like lightness and even when there's like all these like parkour fight scenes like I just dug it and that song internal eternal love like who's gonna we gotta sing it together i really feel like i want us to i know it I, I said it and it wasn't good with me saying it like, okay it let's do it like, let's do this it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful feeling what we've got deep inside we've got a flame, flame that will last, that last forever. forever together you and i and it goes oh my love yeah oh. So I want to go. I want to go to Seoul, get chicken, get wasted, and sing this song in a karaoke bar. (laughs) Oh, we We will doing it when we go to Korea. We are finding a karaoke bar. We're getting (laughs) wasted on chicken and beer, and we are singing that song karaoke. Oh yeah, big time. And now it's time for our favorite part of the show, our K-Recommendation of the Week. So this week, I'm recommending Beautiful Beautiful by ONF, or On Off. It's a super fun, happy song. I listen to it in the car while I'm driving, and it just makes me happy. It's light and fun to dance to, so check it out. It came out recently, and they already had, like, a show win, and I think it's their first, which is very exciting, because they debuted a couple years ago, so good for them, but anyway... So check it out. It's called Beautiful Beautiful by ONF. So here are three fun facts from the Healer writer. Fun fact number one. In an interview, Healer's writer, Song Ji Na, reveals that she specifically asked for white bedding in Jung Hoo's secret base. She says, it had to be white. I couldn't stand colorful patterns on the bedding because it was supposed to embrace the innocence of Jung Hoo and later Young Shin and Jung Hoo's innocence as they'd be together. Aww. Thoughts on, I know, like just that quote, like... It makes me just, it makes me want to just hug them. 
I love them so much. It makes me think that they intentionally coordinated his white wife beater <laughs> with the sheets as well, just for like added whiteness of like you know the whole thing because like if he had another outfit i don't think it would have been the same when he was like rolling around in his bed with her <laughs> <laughs> like he couldn't have been so, in his all black healer in those bed sheets. no no he could no that's very true that's very true there was something to be said for him sort of dressing down into jung Hu when he was in his little lair and speaking of lair what did you think what were your thoughts on healer's lair what is something that stood out to you in terms of characterization so I do have questions about the white sheets, okay? Because this was like <laughs> dirty warehouse apartment. I mean, it wasn't filthy, but it was pretty dirty. Like he had beer bottles everywhere. There was like takeout containers and everything. But then he had the, this like bed up on a platform, a massive bed with pure white sheets. And they were always clean every time they showed it. I mean, it was truly the most unbelievable part of the show. And this was a show that had him doing an uneven bar routine during a gang fight, which was my actual <laughs> favorite. But still, that's my point. <laughs> I still, how were his sheets so white? So his lair was a total bachelor pad, but it did make me sad. And I think it was meant to make you a little sad. I mean, every time they showed him, like, it was interesting because they'd show him doing all these, like, crazy things as healer, like, totally capable person. And then they'd show him in his lair, and he is wearing, like, baggy clothes, Adidas slides, and he's kind of hunched over. And you actually realize that that actually is him. Like, real Jung Ho is kind of like this, like, meek, hunched over guy. And he's hunched over and he's just, like, heating up his instant noodles in the microwave. And he shuffles back over to his couch and he has to, like, push stuff off. And he just wants to eat alone. And I don't know. I just, I did love that he, like, in front of his bed, he had a massive picture of an island. Because that was always his dream. I mean, he has another dream later. But you know what I mean? That was, like, at the very beginning of the show, that was, like, what we were told was his goal. Was that he wanted to make enough money to buy island and live there alone so he had dreams to get out of that you know warehouse apartment i absolutely wondered like when she found him after i guess he'd been gone for like what six days and we find out he'd been like in bed for that whole time like what did those snowy white sheets smell like um, <laughs> what so did I, he smell like yeah, yeah i mean the whole thing and his lips were incredibly dry so i was oh, like, was, like i don't know about the breath either but like whatever so like okay it's fine it's healer land it's not really the laneige uh, lip mask <laughs> yeah he needed a laneige lip mask i really wanted to see the layers laundry room i'm assuming he has one because i don't see healer like you know bundling up his pearly white sheets and taking them like down to the corner laundromat but I wish we could have gotten a glimpse of that. But for me, I'm really always a sucker for a secret door. So like in shows when like, you know, somebody like grabs a book and it like opens up something or, you know, whatever. I like that his secret door button was like a nailed street sign on a pile of wooden pallets, like shoved in a corner of this disused I guess, kind of office building warehouse. And so when you turn the sign, it opens the door. That's really fun. Yeah, one of my biggest questions about the lair was exactly what you said. Like, where does he do his laundry? Like, how are those sheets ever getting cleaned? And again, Megan, like you were saying, like, he's a very capable person, but his lair is kind of a shithole, you know, like he's he's living like a 20 something guy, like you would expect a 20 something guy to live. So he was impeccable in his job, like not sparing any details. But then his lair, like other than his bed and the screen image of the beach was just total 20 something guy land and the white sheets staying white like that's the biggest mystery to me but i loved the lair in that i thought it was a really good parallel for his character that the abandoned warehouse was basically 
sort of the the metaphor for the sparseness of his life because that is like he has no one right until he meets young shin and young shin basically is the catalyst to connect him back to his past and to other people who were part of his past and will hopefully be part of his future. So I really, I liked that as the parallel, but yeah, I'll never get over the white sheets being as white as they were, but I still, I loved it and I bought it. Fun fact number two, did you have questions about Jung-Hoo's interview at the end of Healer? I did, and writer Song Jina had answers. In episode two, Healer copies the content of the heroine's laptop onto a USB memory drive. In episode 20, one of the cut scenes was apparently Healer printing off interview questions for Healer that the heroine had created that was in that data. So this interview is him fulfilling one of the heroine's dreams, which was interviewing Healer. At this point, Healer also thinks of the possibility of his own death in the final shootout, but because of the lack of time during the final week of production, this got lost. So I thought that was kind of cool that there's sort of parts of the story that we don't actually get to see. I love that we can find stuff like this, you know, that because Healer was definitely one of those things that made you think. And I love that you could find stuff like this and get more answers to a plot that I thought was, while it was woven really well, there still were some questions. So Healer is a total goober in the show for his girl. What is another gesture that Healer makes to young Shin that wrecks you in the feelings? So there are tons of them, but I'm actually going to go with all the ways he lets Youngshin think she was saving him when she still looked at him as Bong Su, which was her her junior, and she kind of treats him like that. And, you know, they go to like some dangerous places together, and he really respects her, and he always lets her think kind of like she's the one saving him like he doesn't kind of blow up her spot you know and it was really cute especially when they were at the well it's not a cute scene but we're at the one bad guy's house and he's really he's threatening young shin and healer kind of does his like healer like analyzing the scene and he ends up like kicking the big uh, shelves that are full of potted plants and it all comes crashing down and like perfectly like things fall perfectly on the bad guy you know what i mean because he's healer and he like knows exactly how things are gonna fall and young shin of course is like let's go like she has to take care of her junior and she like leads him out and he kind of behind her gives this like little smirk because like he's the reason they're escaping but he lets her believe that she's protecting him i love that that is one of my favorites just that tiny little smirk that if you blink you'll miss it and the fact that he knows that he just saved them but she's pulling him out of danger i love it yeah it's so fun and i know we're going to talk about this a little bit more so i'm not going to get into this too much but for me obviously it was the glow up post sex when healer is not a virgin anymore (laughs) (laughs) and just like is a barnacle on her like cannot get enough and just like can't stop like following her around and i know we're going to talk about it so i don't want to give away more and for me, it was, and I think we all feel the same way about it. It's the movie theater date. When Young Shin has a date with Healer and he sets up, you know, a movie for her all by herself in the movie theater and he hasn't revealed himself to her yet. So he can't sit there with her, but he has it all set up. He has like a stuffed animal that, you know, talks to her. And then at the end, we get them holding hands from, you know, he's just on the other side of the door and they hold hands for a second and you know, so she knows that he was there and he was with her on the date and everything like that. And it was just the most romantic date you can have with somebody that you'd never get to see <laughs> on the date. Like it was so well done. And Lovely. like, and like, you just know that he was so gone for her by doing this for her already. It was the best. I can't believe, I think I had like actual vapors, like while watching. This I, I did too. That was the scene that made me physically dizzy. Like at the end, right? they, like hold hands at the end of the date. I was like, I have vertigo. 
<laughs> my feelings are so hard right now. And like, my stomach that, was like, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I, I, the same. I was like dizzy. And that hand holding is how she figures him out later too, because mm-hmm. it's when they when they hold hands like in real life, and she re- like all these little things that she realizes is is him when he's Bongsu, and I just loved it. So fun fact number three: How did Ajuma meet Teacher? Song Jina lets us know how they created Healer, which we know was actually the name of the news zine that the five friends, including Young Shin and Jung Hoo's dad, put out in the 80s with the tagline, Media Exists to Diagnose the Pain of Society and Cure It. Writer Song Jina tells us Ajuma first met Teacher in 1992. Teacher was released from prison in February 1993. When Ajuma was still a police investigator, she was actually investigating the elder's case. For the investigators that were investigating Elder's case, they probably speculated that Gilhan and Jun Suk's case somehow related to it. Even though the evidence to clear Jun Suk's name had been hidden, the people who hid the evidence were probably still around. Ajuma eventually found Teacher, who is very close with Gilhan and Jun Suk, to learn more about them. That is when they met and created Healer. Ajuma is the behind-the-scenes controller and mastermind, but there needs to be someone to do on-site investigations, so Healer was created, and Teacher is the first-generation Healer. So, thoughts on Ajuma and Teacher's depictions and how they both impacted Healer's character. Poor Healer. He has so many abandonment issues, and for good reason. I loved that Healer did have at least two people in his life who cared about him, which was Ajuma and Teacher. It humanized him and kept him from being this completely cold healer. Like, I I think that really made a big difference in how viewers looked at him from the get-go. But still, both of them kept their distance from him. Like, he never saw Ajuma, and Teacher really did leave him. I mean, the Teacher did pretty much abandon him. So... All of that just made my heart ache because he really was just a lonely man boy. Yeah. So I feel like Healer 1.0, I have some issues with him besides his scraggly mustache. So um, <laughs> I feel like Teacher did empower young Jung Ho to be able to survive. But I felt like there was like a touch of toxic masculinity with this character. Like, you know, he left Jung Ho on his birthday to peace out to the South Pacific with all this swagger. And I felt like there was just a little bit of like this like over tough love for like our sweet little like massive emotional boo-boos who has this like history of abandonment issues. So like when the teacher left, like, yeah, it just felt a little bit like bug up kid and like took off so you know i I felt like healer 1.0 was a good guy but a total asshole i did love everything about the ajuma and healer relationship and i think one of my absolute favorite scenes in the entire drama was when healer first encounters ajuma after her secret layer is compromised and she's on the run and she's wearing one of her like totally batshit clash and color pattern outfits with her crimped hair and he's like <laughs> there's like a moment like they're getting chased like everything's going to hell and he's like ajuma wait this is what you look like no he's like you go you leave your house like this yeah. like, what are you wearing it's so funny in the middle of this fight that he's like what the hell <laughs> and it was like i was like ajuma what is up I also just like I'm curious because she never crimps her hair except like except when she's like yes Juma. so like when she's out in the world like trying to like be a like you know on the case or whatever she like has this like nice hair but at home I just I really would have loved to have seen a like a crimping iron scene with her instead of her always making kimbap like always just have a crimping scene. and just shove oh it down her yes. eye hole yeah <laughs> she takes yeah. watching her eat the kimbap kimbap was not was not fun I mean. <laughs> There was, I mean, I like what I was saying. I like when they go to ransack her place, though, and one of the guys takes a bite of it. Yeah, <laughs> I need to. 
I really did. So with what you're saying, Leah, about the toxic masculinity, I totally agree with that. But on the other hand, I'm also looking at this, not that I'm forgiving teacher for abandoning him, because if we're going to, you know, bust out the emotional wounds thesaurus like we did for It's Okay Not to Be Okay, that he had some major emotional boo-boos and all of it stemmed from being abandoned. And like you were saying, rightfully so, he needed, I mean, sadly, his mom needed to abandon him to keep him safe. Teacher didn't necessarily need to abandon him like that, but I also have a tiny bit of sympathy for the fact that teacher had been a healer all those years. And this is his chance now to sort of live his life for himself a little bit. I think it would have done it a lot differently as far as, you know, just being like, happy birthday, see you kid. You're old enough to do this now. It was so I know, I know that was, that was a little bit rough, but yeah, I mean, but thank goodness for Ajima, right? Like that's, she was one of my favorite characters ever in a drama and she was, she was his handler, but she also did love him. And you knew that because she didn't just leave him, even though she threatened to a million times when he sort of went, you know, went AWOL a little bit and when he would go off the grid and do his own thing with Young Shin and decided that he wanted to reveal himself to her. Like she could have said, screw you, like you're going to mess this all up. And instead she looked out for him until the final moments in the airport at the end. So I really, really loved her. And I think if it wasn't for her, that he would have been a lot more damaged And because he had her and because he got to see her, you know, actually see her in the end, I think that that will be a relationship that endures. And I'm happy about that. Yeah. I mean, she was the one who was like, young Shin, you have to go here. You you're the only one that can like get to heal her in his lovesick state after teacher died. And yeah, she was the one who sent young Shin there, which I loved. Yes, absolutely. So we're going to talk about healer and his secret identities. So which identity do you prefer? Bong So or healer, and why? So I really love Bong Su so much. I mean, healer's a total badass, but Bong Su, I felt was truly who Jung Hoo is when he's not kicking bad guys' asses. He's like the gooberiest goober to ever goober, <laughs> and I loved it. Like, we've used the word goober before, but I think we can never use it for anybody else like we do for healer, because when he goes full Bong Su, it's amazing. And I love that she falls for him even more when she knows who he is kind of thing, too. So that made me really happy, because she, yeah, she fell for healer first, but then when she knew all of him and how goobery he was, she still loved him. I actually prefer Healer, I, like, closer to the end of the series. So when she knows who he is, but kind of like no one else really does. But I love that he's, like, lazy cat reporter Healer. Like, he just wants to sleep all the time. And Oh, my God, that was the best. <laughs> really adorable. They talk about how when predators are at rest, they sleep all the time. Like, Young Shin mentions that, that, you know essentially big cat predators they sleep all the time when they're not actively hunting and that's what she compares healer to like he's not actively hunting so he's just sleeping all the time in the office i honestly did feel like that was kind of a cross then between bongsu and healer like it was kind of the merging of them and i adored it he was so he was so funny when he just kept answering the phone like you have the wrong number and she's like you can't do that we're at work (laughs) (laughs) that was pretty funny so for me i think that healer can just cover up my eyes and kiss me any day and hold my hands in secret movie theaters so I thought like Bong Su, yeah, was like fun and like a totally awkward bumbler. And I did really like when the heroine's dad at one point was all, he did like the full like, Aish! <laughs> and was like, you know, I wanted you to end up with a man who could protect you because obviously Healer's like the best protector ever. But yeah, ultimately between the two alter egos, Healer has my heart. And my favorite is longing on a roof, watching the heroine in her apartment, Healer. <laughs> so... We have to talk about the post-sex healer glow up. So 
this is my favorite scene of the drama, like hands down. So Healer had a lot of identities on the show from that bad bowl cut wig that he had the first time he walked oh into the coffee. I was like glasses. Yeah. Oh my God. I was like, please tell me that that does not make it like, thank God that was the only time we saw that wig. And I, I didn't really want to know what Ji Chang will thought when they're like, you have to put on this wig. I like, I don't get paid enough for this. But anyway, so from the bad bowl cut wig to Bong Su to a gum smacking 20 something, he had a lot of acting roles but no healer was as great as post-sex clingy puppy healer that's what i call him and probably one of my favorite healer roles he's just like so happy to get laid <laughs> and he's so <laughs> happy and he's so happy to be alone with young shin you know leah mentioned already he like barnacles onto her like he can't and it's like a cute way where he just he just puts his chin on her shoulder and follows her around because he just can't believe that it's real that he's with the love of his life i mean he it's not about sex it's about the fact that he finally was like i think he needed like skinship like he hadn't even like you know touched people in in years and so i thought it was so wonderful how they gave that so much attention like gave that so much camera time where he's just loving on her as she's making him food wearing his shirt yeah and i have nothing else to say other than he was that's like the gooberiest he ever was and i loved it so okay so i really i feel a little bad with my quick take on this because i thought that megan's like poignant like you know he really hadn't been touched in the skinship like okay now i'm gonna sound like an asshole because i have i have a little quibble so before the glow up you know we have like the pre-sex kiss and i felt like that i really i'm still annoyed by it because i felt like for the whole show everything was done so perfect but i felt like there was just it needed like 45 seconds more of emotional beats to me in that like you know we had some tears we had a kiss and i was like okay here we're going and like i you know i'm not saying i needed like you know the clothes coming up or anything but i just felt like there needed to be like we needed like at least 45 seconds more of an emotional beat before we just like all of a sudden it's like the morning after with the shoes. And I was like, wait, 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 like, you know, take me out to dinner a little bit more before we get to this. <laughs> However, the glow up was so good. And that like goofy, de-virginized joy was just so amazing that it killed me. So, I mean, I forgive it, even though like I still wag of a finger that we needed a little more buildup. And for me, I really liked when she comes out of his bathroom and he towels her hair off and he covers her face to like reveal her lips as kind of like a nod to their relationship. But she tugs the towel down to look him in the eyes. And I just thought that was like a nice little bit of scene work to show the advancement in the relationship. And I don't disagree with you. Like, I, I will say that. Like, I, I really don't. Like, I could have used maybe a little bit more, like, I don't know, straining. Like, I didn't need full, like, Lee Dong-wook sex vein or anything. <laughs> but I, I think that moment where you know it goes from a sweet kiss to, like, right. oh, we're going to, like, oh, bone yes. it out tonight. Like, yeah. I wanted that moment. Like, to, we're like... going to bone town. Yeah. yeah. Like, right. like, just just a, just even, like, a, a bigger, deeper kiss, you know, right. before it's, like, the I wanted right, reg- I wanted a little ragged breath, kind of, like, right healer just like can't really like he's about to like jizz in his pants kind of <laughs> can i, I just say that on the podcast I just you just did I just you just did a little <laughs> well and i mean i will say though i loved the like hugging 
like I don't like cuddling so if my husband wants to do that I'd be like go away but I did love when they wake up and he's just like cradling her in his arms like it didn't feel sometimes in any show the next morning scenes are kind of like oh yeah they they were told to like lie in bed close together but this actually felt like oh my god they, they must have slept like that like I really loved whoever directed that scene and told them to essentially embrace that closely because I loved it so Healer's dream was living on a desert island alone and Jung-Hoo ends up as a photographer. Was that a satisfying ending for him? Why or why not? 100% for me. For me, the only reason his dream was the island was because he thought he had to be an island. He didn't think he was meant to live as other people do, but meeting Young-Shin changed that. And I think him being a photographer and her being a breaking news reporter allowed them to both still live that adrenaline rush of being a healer because she liked it too, while also being able to live in the real world with other people. So it was perfect for me. So I think Healer grew up during the series. I think we're going to talk about that next episode, how much we think about that. But he went from a rooftop parkouring man boy with abandonment issues who just wanted to be left alone to a man who loved and realized that he had a found family. So it made sense to me that his dream would change. I think it's okay that your dreams change. And it was just completely full circle of him taking photos like his dad that warmed my heart so much. And I really felt like the whole time I was watching the show that the writers and directors, they understood what the viewers wanted. Like, that's what we wanted to see. We didn't really want to see him on some island alone with Young Shin. We wanted to see him actively participating in society with the love of his life and carrying on his father's legacy. I don't have much more to add to say that. It just felt like a very simple but hard-won arc where Young Shin and Jung Hu essentially mirror their fathers as the scrappy reporter and photographer. And I just really enjoyed, like, the bookending of that. So the book recs this week are romance books where the hero goes all in on their love interest. So what do you ladies got? So I'm going to do a quick rec for The AI Who Loved Me by Alyssa Cole. And this is actually an Audible original. So it is an audiobook with a fantastic ensemble cast. And without giving too much away, because there is a bit of mystery here, the hero in this story is an AI, artificial intelligence. And despite programming that says otherwise, he, he falls for the heroine. And I can't really say much about it because there is not anything I can do to not give spoilers. But from the extent that when he first meets her, he feels this need to protect her to the extent where he just shows up while she's standing by the elevator holding her laundry, thinking that she might need him for whatever reason. And it's super charming. We get to see this AI go from sort of new baby AI to being able to think and feel like a human. And on top of that, there is sort of this secret government situation going on and again i can't give away too much but it's just super fun super romantic and yeah there's robot sex <laughs> Which, yeah i'm into so for me i have an audible original tonight too i have sleepless over you by sydney smith it's kind of a male male retelling of sleepless in seattle and so we've got the main character, Matt Mazzola, who actually listens to a podcast, Ding Ding. It's a popular relationship podcast. And he hears a young woman talking really heartfeltly about her grieving father and like wanting him to find love again. And Matt, through a series of hijinks that takes him through, I think, the Hamptons, he like really just like goes all in like trying to like figure out who this man who is a 45 year old British equestrian veterinarian is and there's just like all these like fun hijinks as he's like trying to like get close to him and like figure out like how to make this relationship happen so I really loved it 
So my recommendation is Protecting What's His by Tessa Bailey. I feel like the title alone kind of tells you, but basically it is a woman who moves with her sister and I mean, I kind of don't give anything away, but she runs into a cop and of course he's hot and protective and he has to save her from bad guys and he's just all in from the beginning which because he's he's definitely charmed by her and her statue of dolly parton and she's just a really cool heroine he is a super hot all-in hero from the get-go which is a common theme in tessa bailey's books so i kind of recommend any of them but this one's protecting what's his by tessa bailey and so what are we watching right now everyone well, I'm in my post airs hangover still, but I am on episode three of Run On, which is going to be one of our future deep dives. And so I am enjoying that right now. It's still very new to me, but I'm looking forward to seeing where the story goes. And I am about 15 episodes into airs. So really enjoying it. Loving the electric guitar filled tension. And Kim Woo Bin has been just like, you know, he's become an important person to me. (laughs) See? See? So you understand why I bought my DVD. Yeah, no, I really, and I mean, Lee Min Ho, I think is good in this, but this is like, I feel like it's Kim Woo Bin's world and we're all just living in it basically. So, and then honestly, as a surprise to both of you, I am watching Kingdom as well, which is a zombie, um, like historical set in the Joseon dynasty. And I'm watching that with my husband who like has not really embraced like my love for Korean drama. And so I was able to find a intersection of he likes zombies and I like hot dudes and beaded hats. So, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, I mean, it's not bad as far as like, you know, zombie movies go. I'm into it. I'm into the hero for sure. So speaking of Ji Chang Wook, I basically was missing him. And so I started Suspicious Partners and I'm actually almost finished because I binged it in two days because it is delightful. Like I am having the time of my life watching this drama. What's great about it is Ji Chang Wook is not healer in it. Like he's still Ji Chang Wook with that like charm, but I, I don't watch it and think, oh my God, he's healer. He's not. He's really takes on this new role of this like exasperated lawyer who's always tired it's very funny like i mean i'm like in bed like kicking my legs like like i'm like i'm probably gonna wake up everyone in the house because i'm laughing so hard but then there's also crime and there's mystery and like just enough action to like really keep me hooked and i'm loving it i actually can't wait to talk about it when i'm done i'll probably be posting on twitter and instagram about it i mean i could literally do a whole instagram story about this show which i might do well, what are we going to have next week on the episode? More healer! Woo! Yeah, we're going to be exploring the villain or villains, I guess. Moon Ho, who, oof, he is hot. And I think, yeah, I want to talk about why this K-drama to me was just like the perfect new adult or coming of age story. Can I put in a request to have, oh my gosh, what's his name's Mole? be one of the villains the elder the elders it's a separate separate villain (laughs) a separate assaulting villain like that mole has has a brain of its own it is that big and it it's that hairy i mean braid you could braid his mole hairs guys off the side i don't know why they have assassins like he would just have to approach me with his like hairy mole and i'd be like what what do you just don't touch me with the mole and i will do whatever you want i will do it the hair is sentient and can like (laughs) 
<laughs> sentient, a sentient. That's that's what this was missing. My quibble, besides like the lack of like forty five seconds of like sex connecting, is sentience in the elder's hair. Mold. Sentient mole. <laughs> I can't wait to talk note. about it. Can't wait to talk <laughs> about them all next time. Yeah, yeah everybody. Kamsamnida. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind the scenes photos, and of course, pics of our favorite Opas and Anis. Annyeong! Bye.